Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tixer. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out. The kind that builds employees and customers love and support. And I'm extremely excited to present you this week's guest, Drew Brown, the Managing Director of Dominion Hospitality. And Drew himself have a solid background in hospitality and leisure sectors from travel lots, white bread and the Bannatine group and many more. And Dominion Hospitality has 20 locations across the south of England. They operate hotels, leisure, restaurants, bars, pops and nightclubs. So a multi-revenue operator and regional, which I think is very exciting to get some stories from the regional side of the industry. And Drew, he will tell you about his journey through the pandemic, how they have and will adapt. He also gives a clear overview of what the challenges and opportunities are for regional operators in the coming years ahead. We also talk about the importance of leading from the front line as well as how tech can help smaller hospitality groups a lot to find efficiencies. And Drew also gives some strong practical advice on what you can do right now to survive and thrive in this storm. There's some sound advice in this one, so enjoy! Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. And uh, we are now uh, approaching the middle of August, uh, the last run of the school holidays. Uh, and the pandemic is still out there and it's happening. We are trying to find a way of uh, operating with it. And a couple of weeks ago, I uh, connected with uh, Drew Brown. We were talking about, you know, Different business has different challenges, being regional or being in London. And Drew comes from a regional business. And we're going to be talking a bit with that mindset on today and the interesting journey they're on. And besides, they're not only doing food and drink as part of their business, but also a lot of it is the hotel business, which uh, in in many, many eyes should be thriving with staycation. But I think as Drew and I talked about, it's a challenging time to to get all the things working together. So I'm really been looking forward to this conversation because it's so important that we 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 remember that hospitality is such a diverse set of different business models, and this is definitely a a business model we haven't had as a guest before here on the podcast. So I'm very excited to welcome you, Drew, to here to the the podcast, and looking forward to have this conversation. Great, Michael. Thank you very much for the introduction. It's it's a it's a real pleasure for you to invite me onto your podcast. Um, as you know, I've uh, I've listened to uh, many of your previous podcasts and uh, really liking the work that you do. And it's um, yeah, it's an absolute delight to be to be invited on. And hopefully, I can share some some insight and maybe a little bit of wisdom along the way. Yeah, and I'm 100 percent sure. And thank you very much for being such a one of the loyal uh, fans in in the, the community. It's uh, and 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 the, and the sharing and the liking you do. That's very important. So it gets out to more people. But for people who doesn't know who Drew is, uh, first of all, can you give a little a short called the elevator pitch of your background and story, and what you're doing today with the business you're part of? Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I suppose I've got a, a mixed um, sort of hospitality leisure background. I've held senior management uh, roles with uh, Whitbread, working with Premier Inn, Whitbread restaurants. I've worked for Travelodge, also been a general manager for Thistle Hotels, so running large city centre um, hotels. I, I spent a period of time uh, with the Bannatine Group, working with Duncan Bannatine. And um, I've also turned my hand at running uh, race courses, uh, ran a couple of race courses going back a while and um, actually started my career in the health and fitness industry, running health and fitness clubs. Um, and now currently I'm the managing director of a business called Dominion Hospitality. So we operate 18 uh, sites across the south of England, so as Michael said, a, a regionally based business, but we go from sort of Eastbourne down on the sort of south coast, right the way across to sort of Glastonbury, and then sort of up to Tewkesbury, um, and pretty much everything sort of in between. Um, as Michael said, we're sort of multi, uh, multi-channel business, so we have pubs, restaurants, hotels, and I also have one nightclub um, currently as well. How has uh, all this 
the pandemic lockdown been to you guys? Because uh, I guess right now is uh, normally the, the time of year where you should be really busy and doing really well. And uh, there's a lot of people that's talked about uh, this kind of staycation trend. But has that actually has that happened? And what exactly happened during the pandemic? And what has it meant for for your business all this? Yeah, I mean, like like most, I mean, you know, I can remember where I was, what was happening at the the point the announcement came through. Uh, I was stood in a in a hotel in in, in Marlow, followed straight away by getting all of the GMs on a conference call and you know closing down the business and. Like most hospitality professionals, we're sort of action orientated people. We sort of get on with things, we get things done, you know, and, and it was relatively sort of straightforward and easy to shut down the business and sort of put it into a, a I suppose, a sort of period of sort of hibernation. And then I sort of took on the role, I suppose, I, I sort of call it a cheerleader role, which is probably the sort of governing communication, well-being and you know really sort of monitoring the sort of engagement of the team as everybody was furloughed i think one of the other things that certainly in the sort of pub industry that maybe a lot of people haven't seen is that you know the 40 odd thousand pubs across the uk most of the landlords live in those businesses and it was the same for us that our general managers actually it's their homes as well as their workplace so you know, we then had a situation where you're managing people within their homes, within the workplace, which, uh, you, you know, was quite interesting. Um, like, like most, you know, most most businesses out there, you know, I had, you know, weekly video calls with all the GMs. You know, I set up a WhatsApp group uh, with everybody, which is still actively going now. We try and bring a little bit of humor in. So, you know, the WhatsApp group's called the COVID Club. We have uh, we had a sort of a, a kind of newsletter we continue to do every week called the GM Survival Guide, um, and that had lots and lots of things that people were up to, mainly you know painting and doing their gardens and all of that sort of stuff. But we kept all of that going to try and drive a degree of engagement in the business. We're in this together, normality, and um, so we didn't lose that. And we we also run ran a very successful charity weekend and this was during lockdown so you know we ran a quiz we had 40 people on a sort of charity quiz but we had you know uh, one of the general managers actually run a marathon in the courtyard of his business literally running back and forwards all day (laughs) how how big is that courtyard it's not very big (laughs) it's not very big (laughs) and um i mean i take my hat because it's cobbled courtyard as well it's not straightforward so and he was pretty much running running most of the day, but you know raised over a thousand pounds for for charity doing it. You know had that on Facebook. You know did Facebook live messages. So you know I, I think I think from a team perspective, you know during the lockdown, and it's something I'll come on to talk about a little bit more. But I actually think that we've got closer as a as a team, as an overall team, because we've gone through this shared experience and I, I will talk about that a little bit more because it's quite relevant now that we're open and operating in terms of the business like like most businesses I mean you know the the initial period was very scary we're watching cash flow out of the business and um, you know there's nothing coming in you know with the sort of various measures you know we've kept the business going uh, we're now open and trading all but one business which um, which is our nightclub and again I'll come on and talk a little bit about what we've done to get the business open um, and what we're going to do to get our nightclub open and trading. I think during the actual lockdown, I'm not saying it was a positive experience, but I think I've really sort of tried to get everybody to connect together and our, our level of communication has probably been better in terms of that lockdown period than it has in the trading period of the business. I think, you know, in terms of my time, if you can imagine a, a, a sort of hotel business, you know, we spent a lot of time trying to defer hotel bookings. Um, and certainly, as you rightly pointed out, Michael, at this time of the year, we'd be operating our hotel business at around about 90% occupancy. So, you know, uh, we've also, by the way, gone through the Glastonbury Festival, which was cancelled, and we have three hotels around the sort of Glastonbury area. So, you know, all of those sort of big festivals and events that drive 
you know, people into those areas and drive occupancy all disappeared. So we spent a huge amount of time trying to defer hotel bookings and save the cash and save the revenue. And then obviously then dealing with, um, you know, people who want refunds, cancellations. We ourselves had events on, we ourselves had weddings. So, you know, there was a huge amount of then trying to do the right thing for the customer and balance that off, I suppose, with doing the right thing, you know, for the business. And again, you know, I think we've managed to navigate relatively unscathed through that sort of process. I think in terms of, you know, you talked about the sort of staycation and, you know, we have a staycation sort of program in the business now to try and sort of stimulate sales. And certainly what I'm seeing within the hotel industry that, you know, those hotels and businesses that are close predominantly to the coastline. So last week, Plymouth, um, uh, you know, as, as a market segment in hotels had the highest occupancy rates of 92%. But that doesn't necessarily relate to you then zoom to the other end and London had an occupancy level of 27% last week. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a real, you know, there's a real sort of difference and dynamic going on here, which is completely different to what anybody's ever seen around hotels. Yes, normally at this time of year, you know, hotels by the coast would be full. But actually, normally at this time of year, you know, London would also be trading at 90 percent and the rest of the industry would be probably trading around sort of between 80 and 85 percent occupancy. You know, I've mentioned to you this before. I think hotels is getting left behind, you know, within the hospitality industry. You know, there is week on week improvement in occupancy levels, but actually, you know, the average day, daily rates down. So it's decreasing in order to maybe drive a little bit of that occupancy. So I'll come on to talk, talk, probably talk about it a little bit more in terms of maybe when we talk about, you know, where do we go from here? But I, I, I do think more needs to be done, you know, around generating the staycation idea. And we're not, we're not, you know, as, as Brits or as English people, we're not into staycations. We like to, you know, get the lard on and, you know, get our little handkerchiefs on our heads and, you know, get on the plane off to to you know Spain Greece or wherever you know we're, we're not great at staying in our own country and exploring it and therefore maybe the infrastructure within you know the UK is not particularly pointed at staycations so you know again the, the, the problem needs to be a lot lot more done you know to try and encourage and support the infrastructure around um, staycations in the UK. What about, uh, I say, one thing is like getting people to do staycation and it's definitely a trend and it's interesting you're saying that I heard somebody else I talked with from the hotel world the other day. He said there's a there's a confident thing and a trust thing, but it's also knowing what you can do on a staycation because the thing is you said very, very well, as I, he said the same, that people don't know how to plan a staycation. Uh, it, it, it feels almost too too much work and there's so many gems around in, in the areas where you are as well around the coast beautiful scenery beautiful nature uh, places to go where exactly you, you can be very safe to be uh, but again there's some education about how you actually how do you actually plan that perfect holiday but have you also been impacted because there's a lot of hotel people i've heard and also restaurant people talking about the the business traveler how that's impacted uh, stayovers and and eating eating out on on weekdays and so on. You know, I think that most of our hotel business currently is is leisure business. So you know they they you know within the sort of hotel sort of industry that there's there's definitely a profile of the of a leisure customer versus the profile of a corporate um, customer. And then when I, when I say corporate, I'm probably you know not necessarily referring to um, construction and trade there is also another market around construction and trade so we, we've definitely seen sort of an, an uptake in uh, more leisure um, customers um, probably more so than maybe we would we would see the corporate market is pretty much not there you know it's, it, it's non-existent we are seeing a, a bit more of an upturn in the uh, in the sort of trade construction market so, yeah, I think you've got very sort of distinctive sort of groups of people out traveling the, the court, the corporate side of things. We're, we're just not not seeing that. And potentially that could be due to, to people keeping an eye on spending and also that people are working from home and finding other ways rather than travel. You know, so, uh, you know, rather than traveling and staying over, 
you know people are potentially will be opting to have a have a you know a, a, a conference a video conference meeting rather than traveling and incurring the cost so yeah it's it's quite an interesting sort of d- dynamic in terms of the different customers that we're seeing in the hotel side of things how is it then uh, in the in the coming months ahead because i guess now there is a bit of help from uh, more people out traveling even though you wish there was more people out doing staycation I don't know if you had any positive impact of the the eat eat out help scheme, but how how's the months ahead? Because summer holiday finish soon, and the kids are meant to go back to school, and then you're into into the winter period. How how will that look for you? How's the journey ahead for you? And and uh, how do you see you do that transition in a successful way? I think the eat out to help out scheme is fantastic. I mean, one one of the things just sort of thinking through, you know, everything and taking a step back um, and, and, and looking at our business and, and looking at the industry is that, you know, I think the hospitality industry at the moment has got a huge opportunity um, just with the um, exposure that's been given. You know, I think um, w- without necessarily reeling off, you know, names, but UK hospitality leading and lobbying the, the the government on behalf of the industry, I think, has done a phenomenal job. So, you know, campaigns like Eat Out to Help Out, I think, is is a great, you know, it's a great start. And I'm sure there are lots and lots of businesses that are benefiting massively from that. But it's not it's not the final sort of it's not a full package, you know, and it's not the final solution. I think now the industry, given that we've got this increased visibility, I think, you know, the industry has has a responsibility to start sort of drive its own destiny and you know as as i said you you know at the front of this i think the hotel industry has been left behind i don't see a huge amount coming out visibly from the 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 hotel industry although it sits under the uk um, sort of hospitality banner it seems as though you know pubs are very proactive there's some great pub groups out there great leadership out there uh, as well as casual dining and, and a great, some great companies, some great leaders out there who are really pushing, you know, the industry forwards. Um, but whilst, you know, as you know, Michael, whilst the high street and retail is in complete disarray, you know, I, I suppose my, my my fear is probably for the more high street businesses. And we do have businesses in towns and city centres and you can clearly see that any businesses in a town in the city centre is not performing well. You know, our businesses that are um, slightly out of town or in smaller sort of suburban areas are performing a lot, you know, a lot better than those in towns and cities. And then, you know, I, I think about, you know, moving it on. And as you said, how do we then, you know, transition? You know, I think there's probably this bit in my mind, which is, you know, it is we've still got to keep safety first. So I think, you know, in terms of operating the business, one of the things I was very conscious about when we set up, you know, all of our sort of safety parameters and how we're going to operate the business, that we don't become complacent, that we don't um, fall back. Because I think, you know, again, I take a responsibility on you know behalf of the industry that, you know, we are promoting this level of trust that you that you said you know we need to portray this level of trust in the in the business and the, the industry that's really important so i think we've got to take that with us whilst this pandemic is still around and ensure that you know we are still maintaining those safety measures we can actually build and grow trust so it's not as though right job done you know we put these safety measures into the business we can then move on to something else I think, you know, certainly whilst the pandemic's still around, you know, we've got to be really cognizant that, you know, every day, every time we open the doors, you know, we're now operating under a new risk um, environment. So I think that's really, I think that's really quite sort of critical. I think then in terms of moving forwards, and I know a lot of businesses will be looking at this, is then how do we, um, you know, how do we sort of dial up different parts of our business and you know, as as explained, we've got, you know, quite a few different sort of levers that we can pull in, in, in the business that I've got. But, you know, how can we promote and drive, you know, staycation business across the um, across the sites? And as you said, as schools go back, I think there'll be a bit of a transition point. And maybe that's at the point that we see maybe slightly, slightly older people, maybe a little bit more nervous about coming out, staying out. 
we need to probably work a little bit harder in terms of saying actually it is okay to come and stay in a hotel it is okay to travel and um, these are the safety measures that you know that we've put in place and actually can have confidence in that so i think we will continue down that road and hopefully tra transition from you know more of the sort of family leisure business into maybe the sort of gray you know the gray market um, that will still be out there, that will still be probably looking to stay, but might be a little bit nervous that they're seeing pictures of, you know, packed beaches and, you know, busy towns and, you know, pictures of cars parked all over the roads down in Devon and Cornwall. You know, that that will end, you know, potentially as the, ki as the kids sort of go back to school and hopefully, you know, people who've got sort of families um, potentially then start to go back to work as well. So, I think we'll piggyback on, on, on the back of that in terms of maybe looking at, you know, some of the um, packages and some and sales incentives and some ways of communicating that maybe slightly differently towards the sort of grey market. For, for us, the Eat Out to Help Out schema has had some impact in some of our businesses. I mean, acro across the individual sites, you know, we've got four of our sites are actually performing way ahead of last year, um, which is quite interesting. But we've also got some that are performing, you know, you know way back on last year so you know that has had had an impact in in in, in some of our businesses um and then we're looking at all sorts of different you know things that um you know we can be quite creative around you know i'm not restrict we don't have a brand you know i view the business as a as a family so each each one of our businesses actually we can you know we can be quite sort of agile we can we can sort of reach outside the box and look for new and different ways of operating. You know, we can we can do basic things like flex the hours, but we can also go and talk to other operators. And, you know, I started having conversations with um, uh, other operators about potential partnerships. So we're, we've got an ongoing conversation with a, a, a successful restaurant operator and we're talking to that person about actually is is there an opportunity for a win win? Actually, could we? operate in a very successful sort of restaurant business that's got you know a, a very successful following but actually you know almost implant that restaurant business with it within our hotel and actually that starts to create a, a you know really nice partnership uh, and potentially you know potentially a win-win a, a i think the other thing and it will sort of lead on potentially to the future that we've spent a lot of time on is how can we maximize the outdoor spaces that we've got and I think that's worked really successfully so you know I've been busy sort of buying marquees um, looking at outdoor furniture looking again at creative ways of planning and spacing outdoors about having separate outdoor areas for smoking and separate outdoor areas for non-smoking so we've spent quite a bit of time looking at outdoor areas and the the, the, the sort of next phase of that and the transition of that is how can we sort of weatherproof it? How can we make it, you know, good for the, the you know the coming months to still allow that flexibility in space? People seem to sort of gravitate, you know, when you watch people in a sort of a you know, pub or even a restaurant environment, they tend to gravitate to outside. Um, and I don't think that will change anytime soon. So, you know, how can we ensure that, you know, we have outdoor spaces that are, you know, set up, you know, not just for the sunshine, but set up for you know, set up for the winter. And in one of the sites, you know, we've put a 50 inch TV screen out, covered it, put a marquee in there so that, you know, people can come and have a drink and continue to watch, you know, watch the football, but sit outside, you know, have space, have confidence in, in the sort of fresh air. So we're looking at different ways to sort of flex what we've currently got to, you know, to try and sort of try and follow the, in effect, follow the customer you know, and, and look at the sort of changing need um, of the customer across all the sort of different parts, you know, different parts of the business. The, the other thing as we sort of transition, I suppose, into, I suppose, into the next phase is that um, I mentioned that we've got a nightclub um, and, uh, you know, anybody who has got and operates nightclubs, um, there, there's been very little, you know, in the way of, you know, guidance has actually been not a great deal of information you know, from the late night industry in terms of actually, you know, what can we do as an industry to move this forwards? So, um, you know, we, we are looking to open our nightclub as a late night venue at the beginning of September. We're going to take it really slowly, really easily. There's going to be, you know, no live music, no dance floor. 
you know, but we'll revert to table service. We'll try and dial up the customer experience. So we'll be doing things like cocktails at the tables. You know, we'll, we'll try and really lift it, um, lift it up. But our, our, our capacity in a, a nightclub goes from 450 down to 150, 160. So and and so we we, we want to sort of you know want to keep moving you know keep moving and keep keep adapting the business in 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 line with uh, I suppose in line with the sort of changing sort of customer. Interesting with all these different revenues you have uh, and you yeah, multiple revenue and different types of business in different location and I guess also very different customers I guess across those venues and needs you need to. Uh, to apply to it's not it's not like you can have a one simple corporate strategy as you say saying these are the three things we need to focusing on the next three months you actually need to go into each of these business models and actually redefine what can we do with what we have what can we flex as you call it very nicely and what do we need to put in place to actually on a longer term to to, to still be able to grow the business locally yeah, I mean, I'm I'm currently working with each of the, the the general managers. I mean, like most companies, you know, we still have a proportion of our business furloughed. Um, you know, I, I do take my hat off to our sort of people in HR and payroll, and you know, because we've now got people are furloughed, people are flexi furloughed. You know, people are actually working. So, you know, uh, again, probably very similar to a lot of organisations. You know, we are, you know, we're we're facing into the the headwinds and we're facing into the future. And we're up for it and we're driving really hard into it, but we're still doing it, you know, with with, you know, not with our fully resourced sort of business, you know. So there's a really sort of fine balance there. But I, I'm working directly currently with the GM specifically on, OK, let's look at each of the businesses. Let's look at what's working and whether we can dial that up and let's look at where there are new opportunities and actually can we go after those opportunities. So. Yeah, you, you, you're perfectly right, Michael. In terms of the fact that you know each of you know each of our businesses is very unique, very individual, and they have to be taken and looked at, you know, on those unique individual sort of basis, um, which which we're working through. And it, I suppose then it just comes down to you know the quality of you know I suppose the quality of the general managers that you have and the, the sort of talent, but also given sort of good strong guidance. Uh, and I suppose a continued focus on, you know, as operators, we, you know, we all tend to sort of get our heads down and sort of chop wood. But actually, if you're looking more strategically and more at sales growth and building, you can't just put your head down. You know, you actually need to do both. <laughs> you know, you do yeah. need to have your head down and chop wood, but you need to be you need to also have your head up and make sure that, you know, you're looking for opportunities um, you're looking to, to, you know, you're looking to sell, you know, and one, one of the interesting things is now we are, you know, I was having a conversation with one of the general managers yesterday and they're like, we're absolutely delighted. People can't stand at the bar anymore. And I said, well, why is that? It's because we can actually sell more. You know, the bar's now more visible. People actually can approach the bar when they know they can order something. But actually, because we're delivering at table, because we're ordering, you know, people are placing orders at table. It gives us a it gives us a greater opportunity to sell, and that was identified from general manager saying actually this is a this is a potential you know was a potential sort of safety measure that was a barrier now actually we can flip it into a you know we can flip it into a positive and hopefully drive some additional sort of sales through it. It's super interesting with uh, with this environment as I've heard it from others people that have been on the podcast you're just forced to test and try out things even though you are your initial gut feel or business sense says this is not going to work. And sometimes there come some amazing things out of it. And one of the things I really admired, and you've probably seen it in your business as well, that how quick things can actually change when you need to. And uh, and I think that that's a, that's a beautiful thing because that's what we need right now just to survive and, and bounce back to whatever the future looks like is that we just need to make the things we can make work work in a way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in all of this, you know, the reason why I'm in hospitality is because it's a people business. You know, we, you know, our business is about people. So uh, and, you know, as I said earlier, we've all gone through this shared experience, whether you're, you know, CEO of a FTSE 100 company or, you know, you're like me operating a smaller business or, 
you know, you work in the kitchen, you work in housekeeping. You know, I was having a conversation yesterday with some housekeepers about, you know, how did it go for you? What happened? Where are you now? How are you finding things? You know, so, you know, and, and it was it was a point where we were talking about the same things. So and again, I think that's it. That's it. That's a really big opportunity, I think, for, you know, us as, you know, business leaders or operators, you know, to really sort of, um, you know, uh, keep keep socially dis- distanced. But really sort of touch each of our team members and sort of check in with them and talk to them and engage them um, because we, we, we've we all gone through the same thing. And, you know, every single one of the, the people I've speaking, spoken to across the business have raised, you know, raised to the challenge, have taken things on board. You know, I was talking to a chap who works behind one of our bars yesterday, whose mother works in uh, in the hospital in, in, in intensive care. And he comes in, he wears a face mask and a screen and you know, I chat to him initially, what, why, why are you wearing a, a face covering and a screen? And he was because, you know, my mum works in the hospital and I live with my mum, you know. So, you know, but, but behind all of this, you know, we, we you know, uh, I, I suppose, you know, the, 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 we're a people business, you know, we're a people driven business. So, you know, throughout, throughout all of this, it's, it's, it's probably the, the most important part of, you know where, what we're going through, and and all also about where we're heading. You know, as a business. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. I talked with a very uh, senior person from from the industry, and had done been through a couple of crises uh, uh, in his lifetime. And he said to me, "It's all. This is all." He said from the outset, early early on, he said, "This is going to be all about caring for your people. The rest, the rest is just change. But if you care for your people." Then you will be stronger, standing on the other side, and potentially stronger," he said. And uh, he's been absolutely right, and there's no doubt about. It. I see the one that's really, you know, there's no one that's really having a massive success, but actually are 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 not drowning in problems. Are probably the one that has actually been trying to balance this. Because how do you take care of your people also when you have to tell them they can't come to work? furlough them or maybe even yeah. people have to yeah, I mean, you may have to make people redundant even though you don't want to but you're just forced to I think Danny Meyer talked about it in New York as well because the US is a very different system than here in the UK but so how do you do that and still keep the humanity in, in what you're doing and I think yeah I think I think there'll be winners on that side another thing you mentioned just before Drew that's very interesting was that you said that technology in a way have changed the the way you are serving customers and you're actually selling more now out of some bars because of the technology i guess there was some ordering and table technology in play there can you talk a bit about technology's role maybe pre-pandemic and how it's been used in during the pandemic and uh, how you see that in in your business as you go forward and the industry for that sake yeah i mean i i, I think probably sort of within our business pre-pandemic i i think i sort of probably look at technology given that you know we we do have a sort of commonality i suppose across all of our all of our sort of sites um but i, I probably look at technology as almost technology light um so rather going going for these sort of big you know technology sort of driven applications and systems what i've tried to do is identify smaller more agile bits of technology that can really sort of pinpoint specific things within the business and I suppose just to sort of bring that to life, you know, so, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, I, I put in a, a a very sort of very simple sort of stock ordering, purchasing bit of technology. I put in some technology within our sellers that, you know, tracks what we're doing. Um, we put in a, again, very light technology, light um, uh, scheduling system for our managed business. And then we identify specifically where we th- thought we could get some benefit from, you know, bookings, um, online bookings for our more sort of food driven businesses. So, you know, we've we, you know, we've got a package, you know, because we're not a large company. So, we, you know, we don't, we, you know, I, I worked for Whitbread and did two years in, you know, in a change in technology role. You know, we don't have a technology strategy. You know, we're, we're very light on our feet and, and look at, you know, almost picking out, you know, these really easy to sort of, you know, implement into the business bits of technology that are very cost effective. So and actually in a smaller business, you can drive almost a similar result 
but by keeping it quite light. <laughs> so um, rather than looking at these these sort of you know huge sort of applications, big change programs. That that being said, I think you know as um, you know what, I, I suppose as the industry sort of moves, and certainly at this point, one of the things I've seen is that a lot of sort of companies coming out saying, look, you know, we we've you know to your point, really, they've been sort of forced into change and forced into adopting technology but at pace um, and I suppose one of the things that I suppose you know people might want to consider is that um, change in technology can't be shortcutted so that there is a the potential is a little bit of a sort of maybe a, a risk and potentially you know some businesses and, and, and maybe us as well might have to sort of backtrack because actually implementing technology is about changing behavior and unless you've understood I suppose how you're changing behavior, given that we are a people-led business and that technology will drive changes in behavior. I suppose unless you've really sort of understood what behaviors you're looking to see with the new change and implementation of technology, there is a huge risk that technology will fail. Um, and actually you go from something called installing technology, as in job done, we've put in technology, we're now onto something else to implementing technology and implementing technology really is all about understanding behavior. So it's not, you know, it's not necessarily understanding, well, you know, what's the technical specification of, you know, this bit of technology or this application. It's understanding well, what drives behavior because behavior drives benefit. Technology doesn't drive benefits, the behavior that drives benefit. So, and I think, you know, I think maybe some time and, 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 you know, uh, maybe some focus might need to be spent on maybe going back and looking at, well, how does technology impact, you know, our team? How does it impact their behavior? And are those the behaviors that we expect to see? And if there's not, there might be a little bit of almost retrofitting because in the ideal world, you know, done some big technology sort of stuff with Whitbread, in the ideal world, you, you take your time, you know, and you ensure that people are ready and you do all of the hearts and minds and you get people to buy into technology change. But given actually, you know, quite a lot of businesses had a bit of a gun to their head. They've sort of leapt at this. And, you know, I take my hat off to a lot of them because, you know, some of the advances that I've seen in technology, you know, that have taken weeks, months, you know, potentially would have taken years and actually might not have even got there in the end. So I think, you know, there's that boost in technology, which I, which I think is great for the industry, but maybe there might be a little bit of sort of backtracking on the sort of behavioral side. I, th I think specifically when it comes to, to us, I think I will continue to look at technology options, but keep it very light. Um, the only sort of area that I think, again, quite interesting is the hotel side of things. So um, I, I, I think this move towards, um, I suppose, contactless from booking to sort of check in you know, and again, a brand that springs to mind is is the the hub um, with uh, with Whitbread, where their whole purpose is that I can book a room um, as a customer. I don't have to have contact with anybody. Um, everything's done on your phone. I can order stuff. It comes to my room. You know, I can change the TV on my phone. You know, I can do everything. I'm in complete control, uh, but I'm not. I'm not actually interacting with any person. You know, I, I think that's a very, very interesting area um, in terms of technology developments. And I think, you know, a lot of companies are very close, if not already there, to having the capability of being able to book a room, check in on your way there, get the code for the room key, pop your phone on the key, it opens the door, go onto the app, switch the lights on, switch the telly on, order room service, comes to your room, you check out. And, and you haven't seen a person, you know, in your oral experience. So, so I think that's quite interesting. And then the other bit of technology I'm looking at at, at the moment is um, a, a bit of upsell technology, which is really interesting. So it integrates into the hotel booking system, uh, and it's 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 machine. It's a machine learning algorithm, which sounds very complicated and quite techy. But basically, what it does is it identifies within your booking system who hasn't booked breakfast, who hasn't booked 
dinner and actually it sends them communications to say, look, we've noticed you haven't booked breakfast or we noticed you haven't booked dinner or it could be something else that, you know, we've noticed, you know, um, that you're here for three days. And so it, it can then pick that up within an algorithm and actually start to automate some of the conversation and then repoint them back into the, you know, the booking system to then, you know, encourage them to sort of transact and, you know, upgrade their room or book breakfast or book dinner. So I think those bits, I think those bits of technology, I think, are quite interesting um, and certainly something that, you know, I'm, I'm actively sort of looking at for our business. But again, whilst trying try to keep it quite, you know, quite light um, and, and very agile, um, j just due to the sort of na nature of our business. I, th I think the other thing is quite key with technology and the light bit, I suppose, you would relate to actually, well, we don't want to invest huge sums of money as well. So, you know, there's a relationship between light and cost effective and value, you know, getting the value back quite quickly on these bits of technology. But the the, the other bit with technology that, that, that frequently happens is people view the project of technology as is installing the technology and then move on. And I think the, the other thing that, you know, both myself and maybe others should take time is this bit around benefits realization. And it comes back to, you know, all, all the, is the behavior change bit happening? Because actually, if, if, if technology and change is going to succeed, then actually, you know, we have to be able to sort of you know, measure the benefits, you know, have we realized the benefits? Uh, and if we haven't, are we learning from it? And then, you know, go, go back around and potentially share those learnings with, with other people as well. So, uh, you know, I think there's a really interesting bit now around technology change um, and behavior you know, the industry, but it's moving at pace. You know, it's, it, it, you, you can see the pace of change is, 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 is rapid. I think you said some very interesting thing there. You said that, you know, not just technology for the sake of technology, what I got out of it, Drew, is that it's important understanding how it actually benefits, especially in your situation where you have different business models. Does this actually, you know, take give give the managers time or the employees time to do either better hospitality or can we just save time so thereby money or uh, can it make money for us? As you mentioned, an example of upselling, uh, which I think is going to be very key as well as we go forward. How can technology help on this upselling? Because every, every pound extra you can get on a on a booking or on a, on a meal right now is going to be a lot worse for you. And I think that's where it becomes key to technology. And I think there's a lot of technology out there, but it hasn't really been tested. I think you said that as well. And now there's a lot of it that's put to the test in a way. It's it's used in a totally different way than it was before. So maybe actually a lot of tech has to change again to drive the right behavioral change because we often forget that when we implement tech. It's like anything else we implement in our business. It needs follow-up, uh, reflection, adjustments and then suddenly it works because it becomes an integrated part in how we do things here so yeah very very interesting observations and thoughts you had i was just gonna add michael i mean one, one of the things i spent most of my time actually at, at when i was with Webbread and you know doing doing this role around technology and change was readiness so and you know i sort of carved out a program uh for Webbread around readiness and actually it's a bit like anything, actually, you know, you need to spend most of your time in the preparation part rather than the sort of, you know, implementing part. And, you know, it, it's that readiness bit potentially that's been really squeezed, um, you know, for, for a lot of businesses because they just haven't had the time, um, you know, to, to actually do the, the, the readiness bit of change. It's actually probably the most critical part. So I, I think a lot of businesses might have to navigate their way back through that you know, almost just to check that actually, you know, and I don't think there's any, I can't say there being any sort of harm or consequence, but or, but there needs to be intent almost to, well, let's just go back and just check, you know, that we're actually seeing the behaviours that, you know, we expected to see in the business. So. I totally agree. With uh, tech moving at that pace, as you talk about, and you can see that becoming even more important, but especially tech that adds value uh, here and now, how how does this future then look for for a business like you are in general hospitality because you you are you have so many uh, irons in the fire with nightclubs hotels food and drink and pubs as well how do you see that the whole industry are are going to move here let's say it's a difficult question to answer but the next 12 to 18 months how do how do you envision them uh, as with the knowledge we have today 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, again, probably breaking it down into sort of bits. I mean, I think the, 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 the hotel the hotel industry sort of concerns me more, more than any. I think, you know, the pub side of things is very, you know, it's very robust. I mean, there's a sort of old saying, if you, you know, you want to um, get a good re- return on investment, you know, invest in pubs or bookmakers. They, they tend to be quite, you know, robust and resilient businesses. But, you know, I, th- I think the sort of pub and drink side of our business is, is standing up quite well. The, the food side is it, it, it is okay. The the hotel side is one of the ones that, that that concerns me. And I think, you know, just just going back to the fact that I think I think probably a lot more needs to be done around staying, you know, state staycations, but staying and traveling within the UK and actually utilizing hotels. I think you know for for us the future. You know, as I said, for you know, we're 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 you know we're up for the fight, um, and um, you know, each week we've been open since the fourth of July. We've improved week on week. I do keep on looking slightly ahead and think there is a plateau coming, and when we hit that plateau, you know, what will we do next? But you know, we're working on that with you know sales planning and you know making sure that the GMs are focused and they've got everything they that they want. I think wider for the industry. I think that the, the hotel industry, as I said, concerns me. It's 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 very difficult to slow down this industry. And I mean, there's there's you know, uh, quoting a sort of couple of facts, but there's eight hundred and forty thousand hotel rooms um, in the UK, and that increased by one point six percent last year. And actually, it's it's due to increase the same this year. And that the the pipeline of hotels very difficult to stop hotels opening. And you know where I live. Um, which, is, which is in Oxfordshire, there are seven hotels currently under construction. Now, the, the, the forecast within the UK industry last year before the pandemic was that um, the, the hotel performance in, in the UK was going to be flat, if not slightly down. Um, and I know Oxfordshire was highlighted as one of the areas that was significantly down, forecasted before the pandemic. So, so you know, I think that I think that the hotel industry, you know, may need to start looking at how does it diversify, you know, the products that it's got, space and the rooms. You know, it's currently operating at sort of 40, 40% across the UK. So, you know, 140,000 rooms operating at 40%. And so, you know, that's a lot of bedrooms. You know, that's a lot of bedroom stock out there that's just not been used. So, you know, I, I do think there's still an opportunity for things like Airbnb, which is going to come out. I think there's a greater opportunity for apartment-led businesses or mixed-use businesses. So it's quite interesting seeing some of the mixed-use type businesses now that hotels are looking at, which is, you know, shared hotel rooms with apartments, you know, and really starting to sort of blend that sort of model. Um, so actually you've got your own space you know, in an apartment, you, you know, you've got a kitchen and, you know, you can set that up, but you can also go and stay in a traditional sort of hotel bedroom. So, but I do think there needs to probably be some, some thought about, you know, really stepping back in the UK hotel market, you know, where, where does it, you know, where does it go next? I mean, you know, our biggest hotel operator is still probably opening one hotel a week and it's fairly aggressive. And some of those markets now are, are getting really squeezed. So, and I think that leaves us as a small sort of operator. We do tend to depend on markets being full, you know, so we are more successful when there's actually, you know, there's less supply in the market. So, you know, you get oversupply in the market, we tend to do less well. And it'll be the same for a lot of smaller businesses. You know, I'm not going to ring the bells of doom that then those smaller businesses are going to, you know, go out of business because they tend to be a little bit more sort of nimble um, and creative in the way that they can encourage people, you know, into the hotels. I, I, I think, you know, again, this is a bit broad, but, you know, back to the question about staycations, we're not a nation of staycation. And actually, I was sort of thinking about this when you think about, well, where where can you go that's, that's like being abroad and especially in a sort of a, a resort type business? And we've got centre parks. There's not many centre parks, although, you know, one's recently opened in in, in, uh, in Ireland. Um, you've got Butlins, so you've got, you know, something that's a bit more premium, something that maybe is a little bit more sort of value and family led. Um, and I think maybe throw Pontins in there. But we, we haven't got a great 
you know, we haven't got a great deal of resort led businesses or locations within the UK. And again, you know, certainly in the future, you know, surely that 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 must be an opportunity for us to actually start to look at, you know, where, where can we have more resort led businesses that actually you can book and everything's there. You know, every, you know, Brit, Brits, when they go abroad, most Brits, not me included, but, you know, they, they want to go into a resort where everything's there. They can roll out the pool into a bar. They can then roll out to their favorite restaurant and, you know, everything's on hand. So, so yeah, I think the, the, the hotel side of, you know, hospitality is really interesting, but I do, I do think it's the backdrop of oversupply. I think then in terms of the, I suppose the big winners that I would see now and potentially in the future, and I, I see and look at some very, very, um, I suppose, role model type businesses. And these are the sort of food led pub businesses. So we do fall into that category in some locations, but you can see some of these businesses have been really successful because actually they offer great food and dining experiences. And in some cases, very, very good food. You've also got that combined with actually I can go out and I can select a, you know, a, a dining experience with my wife or I can go out with my friends and we can sit in the bar. Um, you know, my wife could go out with her friends and sit in the bar and have cocktails. But we could also go outside and sit outside, you know, with the family and, you know, have a nice meal with the family or invite friends around. So, I, I, you know, the, the future, really, these food led kind of pub businesses that are maybe slightly destination, maybe slightly out of town, that have got a lot of outdoor space that I've seen adapting a little bit like us in terms of, you know, big marquees or putting in sort of covered areas outside, you know, I, I think they're going to be the, the, the sort of real winners. I do worry we've got, you know, some locations and towns and cities and I walk past, you know, some of the restaurants, some are still boarded up, some of the shops are boarded up, some of the shops aren't opening, you know, and I, I worry about the high street. Um, and I think, Possibly what I'm, I'm saying is maybe people who are going into the high street will start to go to these, you know, sort of suburban type, you know, pub restaurant locations instead. So I don't think the industry is going to lose the money, but I think the money may shift, you know, potentially out of the high street. And there's definitely an opportunity, I think, you know, in, in very good food led pub businesses with space. I think the other thing, the backdrop, certainly within food and drink is I, I, I think you know, healthy and sustainability are, are, are definitely going to be, you know, some of the things that are going to be paramount. I think with people, you know, a lot of people being, you know, locked down and putting, you know, their lifestyles under a microscope and really focusing on hygiene, um, you know, obsessed now, everybody's now obsessed about washing their hands and hygiene. And, you know, I think this kind of drive of healthy and I relate healthy to trust so healthy, trusted, sustainable type of businesses that can sort of demonstrate that, not just say, yeah, we, we're a sustainable, healthy business, but actually demonstrate what they're doing. And, you know, we can think of some brands that are already there, you know, and I think those brands will start to really sort of win the sort of customer hearts and mind. Um, but I think that healthy, sustainable uh, will go down really well. Uh, I think a couple of other things, obviously, we talked about technology, but you know, we we haven't really sort of touched then on the sort of, I suppose, social technology side of things. And, you know, the social technology side of things is going to grow and grow and grow, you know, where you can connect food, drink, experiences, hospitality with your network, with your friends. You know, I think that is going to continue to be a galloping trend. So I think businesses that exploit that or can sit you know, as part of that and encourage that and be part of it and interact and engage with it, I think will also do do incredibly well. Um, we haven't talked about delivery, but I think delivery will continue to continue to, to, to grow and be really important. And then the other thing that's really close to my um, my heart, my mind, is is family businesses. And uh, I don't see a lot of them out there. <laughs> so I've got a young family. I constantly sort of rack in my brains. Where can I take where, where can I take the family? And, um, you know, I think, uh, again, I think everybody's looking at outdoor space, you know, um, certainly at this point in time, we don't want sort of crowding inside or tight indoor space. So I think the other thing that potentially might lead to is businesses that are really good at looking after families, really good at, you know, being able to utilize their space to, um, to, to be able to um, uh, address and serve family customers. And I do think it's a gap. 
Um, so you know there there is there, are, there is a gap out there in terms of you know some of the sort of bigger national brands that had you know a very strong sort of family following seem to have diminished and disappeared. And actually, I think it's left a gap in the family market. So, you know, I, I, I think there's an opportunity there really to sort of own that sort of family, you know, family space, combine it with all of the other bits, you know, in there in terms of safety, trust, sustainability, you know, health. Um, and I, I do think there's a, there's, there's a missing link. Uh, there's, a, there's a missing bit in there around families. That's super interesting. Now, when you say it, and I reflected on with my own family, you're right. Actually, that's a that's an that's a great opportunity for families in there. Uh, that's no no doubt about. It. There's no one really working on that mindset yet, I guess. But again, like if you can make it feel safe, family, and create that space, and yeah, develop menus and and all that, that that actually then then you have a great market because I think many families feel they need to get out of their homes <laughs> because they've been so so intensely together uh so they need these breaks sometimes to come out and discover some great uh, hospitality some really good really good points there drew and i think you think you're you're right about uh, a lot of them the high i agree with you high street it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a bloodbath, bath i think and uh i don't think we even seen the start of it yet unfortunately uh i'd say no matter if it's london or outside london i think uh, city center locations it's it's gonna it's gonna be a challenge that's no doubt about it. it's gonna be a very hard journey ahead but but how do you keep saying in in all this because you have so many different businesses on such a big geographical area and i know you i know you're cycling a lot i know that because i know you are you're doing a really good thing but uh by raising money and um but can you tell a bit about what do you do as a an MD leader of your business to keep sane in all this? What is your your top three uh, hacks? Yeah, I mean, I, I um, I'm not I'm not sure I'm achieving it um, at the moment. If I'm being <laughs> honest, I mean, I, you know, I I think um, you know, I think you know, probably like most sort of people running business. I mean, my my head's just down, you know running as fast as I can, sort of chopping wood and occasionally looking up and looking at where we need to be in the, in the future. But it's, um, you know, it, 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 I'm probably working the hardest I've ever worked um, currently. Um, and I, I'm, I like working hard. And, I'm, you know, I'm somebody that's uh, that uh, actually loves loves to, to, to work and work hard. But, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things. I think, um, I, I suppose, in terms of my sort of, if I can add anything in terms of my sort of top tips, I think, you know, one of them is I've, I've talked about it, and I, I do think this is a time where leaders need to get close to their teams and their people. Um, I think around, I do think the shared opportunities are really experienced to engage maybe people that previously haven't been engaged and generate loyalty um, and generate and embed and, and lock in trust uh, with the teams. Um, uh, so I, I do think that's a a, a real opportunity i mean since we opened i've i'm now on my kind of third lap around the business in fact i'm on my fourth lap around the business so and and, and really that it, it's about being as visible as you know as visible as possible and actually talking to every single team member and you know sometimes when we're we're busy chopping wood and our heads down you know that that may sort of slip slip under the net um so i think get really close to your people um uh, use this shared experience as, as an opportunity to work closer together to become stronger and become better as a business and an organization i think it's there um i think it's just whether that opportunity is you know taken and grasped hold of i think the other thing about people is that don't underestimate the impact of change on you know your people and in, in, in teams because you know if 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 there's a lot of change coming down the line um, you know, normally, you know, I've seen this happen before, you know, maybe the leadership team thinks brilliant, you know, we just impl implement some four or five, you know, programs of amazing change that's going to transform our business. But at the other end of that, you've got team members, general managers sinking, you know, under the rate and pace of change. So, the, you know, the other part about getting close to your people is, you know, really talk to them and understand you know, if you're implementing change, how is that impacting and what, what, you know, are, are they, are they managing it? Is it, is it, is it happening? And they'll sharp tell you if it's not, you know, one of the great things about our industry, if you ever want to know how things are working and, you know, how change has been managed, just go and talk to the team 
they, they will they, they won't hold back they'll tell you so I, I think that's that, that's probably one thing i think the other thing is that um you know comes down to probably your direct question and I always think of you know it's a bit of a cliche but i think of stephen covey's sharpening the saw um sort of uh, uh, a bit and I, I do think I think it's difficult when you have got your head down and you're in this sort of situation where it's it is a little bit fight and flight and we tend to go right I'm going to fight you know and I've said it you know during our talk you know we're up for the fight you know we'll fight to win you know we'll keep going but at the same point you've also got to look after yourself um, and you know I think um, I think most people have probably had time to to self-reflect and probably committed to things so probably committed to you know maybe I'm going to be healthier maybe I'm going to take more time out maybe I'm going to exercise more maybe I'm I'm going to you know I'm going to do yoga or I'm going to do meditation and you know you know it, it then becomes difficult when you get into you know right the business is now moving at a thousand miles now I know I said I was going to exercise but I haven't got time I know I said I was going to you know I was going to do some yoga but I haven't got time and I, I think it's, you know, I tend to exercise very early in the morning. So, you know, because it works for me. So I'll get up and out, at, you know, and exercise, you know, from 6.30 in the morning. So, you know, and I, I've stuck right the way through now, you know, right the way through to exercising sort of three, four times a week. Um, so I, th I think it's somehow finding a way that you can you can allocate time for you um, as a leader when it's extremely busy in fact it becomes almost more important when you are moving at a thousand miles an hour to separate you know that thousand miles an hour with your own time and you know in, invest in your own thoughts you know give yourself space to do what you want to do you know to be able to you know really sort of get clarity of mind and also you know recover you know recover your brain you know recover your you know your, your kind of thoughts and you know look look after yourself a little bit so and i'm saying that to myself as well so it's almost self-advice as i'm saying that um, i'm kind of reinforcing it, it, it within myself as i say because it is hard but i i, I do think at times of you know that there there is there uh, you know the, there is an unseen stress um currently and it's been happening since march um and um it is an unseen stress because it's you know it's it's a pandemic um this whole situation for everybody you know in the background is is, is creating a level of sort of stress so you know I, I think you then combine that with moving a business forward at a, you know at a, at a fast pace and a rate of change you know just to, I, I think you know try try and create a bit of space to step back and and, and maybe look at what works for you and then I, I, I think the other thing which um quite interestingly it does make me laugh the the, the way that um you know these these sort of situations tend to drum up new words and you know the new word that sort of springs to mind is pivot you know and businesses being able to pivot and I, I had a conversation actually with our chairman about pivoting and uh, I actually went on for about 10 minutes about you know if you don't pivot then potentially you're going to be you know left behind but if you pivot too much you're potentially going to fall over so you know, it, it, it is about pivoting, but being balanced, maintaining your balance, sorry. So, you know, and I, I mean, I've always used the word agile rather than sort of pivot, but pivot seems to be the new word word on the on the streets. But, you know, there was brilliant examples of this, you know, during the lockdown. I had one with, you know, one of my local pubs turned itself into a, a shop, you know, and was engaging with sort of local suppliers to bring in stock. So, you know, it was still trading, it was still open, it was doing it in a safe way. But, you, you know, you saw this, you know, really quick, agile pivoting um, of that business into actually, you know, now retailing, you know, and then combining that with sort of, you know, takeaway and delivery. So, um, and I've spoken about, you know, there might be an opportunity for us to partner up with other businesses to bring them in and actually run a stronger food operation. So I think this kind of pivoting and maintaining your balance, I think, is going to be really important, um, you know, as we go forward, because it's it's looking for new revenue profit streams that will strengthen and broaden the platform of the business um, going forwards. Yeah, I think that was some uh, super great advice, and I like the the honesty around uh, taking care of yourself. We all we all had this time in in lockdown where there was a bit more time to do things and we had all these good habits and I, I'm, I'm I'm guilty myself trying to keep those good habits because I also understood that 
I need to be as fit mentally and physical as possible uh, on the other side for my family, for my business, for my colleagues, because it's going to be a tough time ahead. And I think uh, we actually talked about it, me and my wife yesterday evening, how important it is that we try to keep that momentum because the, well, how do you deal with the, the agileness? Uh, because as human beings, we are not, we are not built to be switched on 24 seven. We need, we need downtime, as you said. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a very important, maybe a bit, some people say it's a bit cheesy, but I think it's, it's very important because I think that's the only thing we can be in totally control of in this period of time and the rest is change and uh, we just have to progress within that change and we can only do that as you said if we take care of ourselves first so that was that was really good good advice sound advice there drew so drew we are we are end of our conversation this has been an absolutely amazing journey through uh, understanding your business and uh, what you're up to and all the multi revenue streams you need to be in control of and the challenges that there is within the, the hotel industry as well i think we we got that addressed so so i would like to say thank you super much for your your time i know that you don't have much of it and uh, to, to come on and share this with uh, the world and the community i'm sure there's going to be some great learnings out there where, where can people find more info on you drew if they want to connect with you after they listen into this conversation yeah, I'm mean, completely open for for people to connect. You, you can probably find me on LinkedIn. It might be the best sort of the the, the best way to um, connect with me. But um, yeah, drop me a note through through LinkedIn. More more than happy to pick up with anyone else, have conversations, and you know share anything that I that that I, that I can share, which will be be of value. Super, super true. So thank you so much again, and uh, I'll send the uh, power and energy to to your team and uh, family as well to to the the coming time ahead. Thank you, Michael. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. An absolutely amazing overview from Drew from what regional operators are up against when it comes to challenges, but also which opportunities still lies ahead. And also some great and interesting advice on how to approach technology in smaller hospitality groups. If you'd like to get inspired by a smaller operator, you should also tune in to episode 28, Operational Challenges, on a small island with Benjamin Heat, who is the founder and CEO of the Harbor Lights Group on the Isle of Man. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, rate, subscribe to one of our channels. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our community and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And thanks for listening and be maverick.